This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Mary Pass, because the truth will set you free. July 8, 1947. The Army Air Force has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host. Mel Fambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible. Tonight's special guest is author and researcher Joshua Shapiro, who has been researching crystal skulls since 1983 and has been the custodian of a number of them. This is a topic that I've been wanting to discuss for quite some time. Joshua Shapiro will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, you know what to do. Go to VeritasRadio.com, click on the subscribe link, and you'll receive access to everything we have to offer. Stop waiting. Subscribe today and keep Veritas on the air. And don't forget to visit our Veritas store, where you can buy MMS. You never know when you'll need it. And if downloading our shows takes a lot of time where you are, Purchase any of our USB drives with every season of our show. And to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Crystal skulls are believed to be a form of computer which are able to record energy and vibration that occur around them. The skull will pictorially replay all events or images of the people who have come into contact with them and contain the history of our world. The crystal skulls are considered to be one of the world's greatest mysteries. For their mystical properties, experiences that people have had with them, their connection with the UFOs, 
and many theories about their purpose and how they were made, Joshua Shapiro is coming up next. This is Mel Fambergas, and you're listening to Veritas. Dr. J.J. Hurtak. And this is Dr. Desiree Hurtak. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Veritas Show. Joshua Shapiro has been involved with the Crystal Skull since 1983, when he had an opportunity to be in the presence of an amethyst skull located in Northern California, known as Ami. At that time, he felt a very strong connection with this artifact, which forever changed his life. Since then, he has devoted a great deal of time and effort to sharing with others key information about the Crystal Skulls and the role they have to play in the prophesized Golden Age. He feels very fortunate to have had an opportunity to be able to visit privately with a number of the more well-known Crystal Skulls in the world, including the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull, E.T., the British Museum Crystal Skull, and Ami. And directly from Renton, Washington, I would like to introduce Joshua Shapiro. Hello, Joshua, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I am doing great, Mel. A great uh, honor to be here, and I'm very excited to talk about my favorite subject, the Crystal Skulls. Well, I'm so glad to hear that because we always try to get the best person. And I've been, I've been trying to follow Crystal Skulls for quite some time. And a few months ago, one a, a, a very old friend of mine came to one of my place of business, business and handed me uh, right here the Skull Speaks from Mitchell Hedges. And I have heard about the Crystal Skulls, but I really didn't know what this was all about. So I'm very excited that you will be telling us tonight. Before we start with the Crystal Skulls and you define what they are, I want to know what happened, what was that moment where you got involved with Crystal Skulls? Give us some background. Well, I would say in the early 1980s, I was starting to um, explore my spiritual path, and I was kind of traveling around on faith. And um, the main subject that had caught my attention, uh, this, this is back in around 1983, I would say it would probably be the UFOs. So anyway, I made friendship with a, a woman who had a bookstore across the street from uh, the Rosicrucian Park in San Jose, California. And I went to visit her store. I think this was in April of 1993. And... I was going to just talk to her about my book, and uh, which, by the way, this first book was called Journeys of an Aquarian Age Networker. It was based on my travels on faith around the United States and information that I picked up, and I figured out how to put it into a book form. So while we were chatting, she pulled out a picture of this crystal skull you already mentioned called Ami, which is actually kind of... Um, a child-sized skull made out of amethyst, 
that came out of Mexico. And when she showed me that picture, I had a very profound response to it. I started to feel as if there was a strong vibration that was happening inside of myself like an inner earthquake. And um, sometimes I believe that when you're going on your spiritual path, you're going to run into something that your soul has had a connection to before, which you may know nothing about consciously. So I think this is what was happening to me. And then about a half an hour later, there was an actual earthquake, I would say about 100 or 150 miles south of San Jose in Colingas, California, and was vibrating on the table. So essentially, I was I had an inner and an outer earthquake, but also I was receiving, I guess, a message that said these crystal skulls are vital for the future of humanity. So now that you have been reminded of this, it was kind of like an invitation. What are you going to do about it? So this is one of those moments where you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. So I thought probably because I'm an Aries and I accept I like challenges. I said, well, I need to find out more about this. I need to know why did I have this strong response just to a picture of this object? And, uh, you know, what are they about? And why did I get this message that the crystal skulls are linked as a tool to assist humanity for peace? So eventually, I would say about a week or so later, uh, this crystal skull that I saw the picture of was sitting in a vault in an art gallery not too far from the bookstore and there was an invitation to come and see it basically what had happened is a Mayan priest had brought this crystal skull to the United States and there were a group of businessmen who made an arrangement in exchange for a loan he gave the crystal skulls collateral and then um, shortly around the time I was seeing the skull or maybe the year after uh, these uh, businessmen claimed the skull and they held on to it and they became the owners for it. And um, I never met the Mayan priest, but I did get to see the skull because these businessmen uh, heard there was a wealthy person in town and he got invited. And this is again in 1983, so I was there. So th this is where I had direct contact with the skull and then I had some other experiences, but I didn't realize while I was going through all of this that I would become int intimately involved with them, that I would be traveling the world, that I would be writing books, that I would be on uh, TV, I would be working on a feature film. Uh, the woman that's my current partner, Katrina Head, I've met her through the Crystal Skull, so it's just like my whole life changed, but I didn't know in, in that moment in 1983 any of that was going to happen. But that's basically how it started. It is incredible how some people's path are not expected. All of a sudden you're presented one of the, the crystal skulls and you felt the relationship and look at where you are now. You're, in my opinion, one of the most respected researchers when it comes to crystal skulls. But define, for those around the world who have probably seen the Indiana Jones movie, The, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, and, and may not know really what they are, define what is a crystal skull? Well, a crystal skull is exactly as the name implies. It's a... Um, Gemstone that's put into the shape of the human bone skull. The first ones that came out were primarily made out of quartz. And these are the type of crystal skulls that I uh, have a strong um, 
connection to, a spiritual connection to. But in the modern world today, there are carvers all over the world who are making crystal skulls. And if there is a human shape or monkey shape or, um, let's say, ET shape, different type of shape skull, similar to human bone skull, they're calling all of them crystal skulls. Now, in the world of crystal skulls, there are three different types that are defined. Uh, we now have a fourth type that we're offering because of some experiences that we have had since last year being in the Seattle area. The first type is the uh, modern skulls that are being carved by modern carvers today. Uh, the best carvers seem to be in China and Brazil, and I've also met some carvers in Germany and Eder Oberstein. Um, because there are so many of these modern skulls that are, are available, there are a lot of people now who have crystal skulls. Because I would say every week we hear from, you know, quite a number of new people telling us about the crystal skull they have, they purchase, they're working with, what experiences they've had, and so on. So from 1983, where there were very few crystal skulls that were known here today in 2012, there are, I really, I don't even have any clue. I would say there are probably uh, tens of thousands of crystal skulls, or maybe the new skulls, there are now over a um, 100,000, difficult to say. Second type of category, which is defined within the crystal skull community, it's discussed is called an old crystal skull. These are ones that were made over 100 years ago. And then amongst researchers, there's the difference of opinion, whether we go back to about 1,000 or 2,000 years ago. Anyway, um, these skulls seem to have more of a primitive shape to them. And um, there really is no way actually to know the exact date when a skull is carved, because especially if it's made from uh, different gemstones or quartz, because these are uh, inorganic substances. And normally when an archaeologist goes into an ancient ruin where they might actually find crystal skulls, but it doesn't mean that the civilization for which those ruins are from, that the skulls were made by those people, um, you know, they can use carbon-14 dating on bones and such and get an idea of age. But with uh, these different types of stones, carbon-14 dating doesn't work. A lot of times on the crystal skulls themselves, if there's a high-powered microscope, sometimes you can see if there's carver tool marks on there, which modern scientists and archaeologists, as soon as they see that, then they say the skulls are fake, meaning that they were made more recently. But that, again, is really not a good um, rule of thumb for dating them. And um, some of these old skulls have been found, you know, in ancient ruins in Mexico and Central America. As a matter of fact, again, most recently, so many crystal skulls are coming out of Mexico. It's almost at the point where people are kicking the ground and crystal skulls are coming out. There's like local stores that have them. We were at a conference in 2009 where I would say there were about 50 or 60 skulls. And some of these skulls had a, a feeling. And again, feeling is not a, a good measure to prove something, but if you're a sensitive person, you can feel energy that surrounds the skulls, and some of the skulls that come 
reference I would enter to be the next category, which is called ancient crystal skulls, meaning created either 1,000 or 2,000 years ago or much older, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000. Again, we don't have any exact scientific method as far as we know that can actually date them. But a lot of times for the older skulls, we will work with people who are sensitives and they will pick up from the energies that have been absorbed from these crystal skulls by events and people that are around them. Uh, they will come up with different uh, scenarios, visions, or feeling about what civilization some of these ancient skulls may have come from. Now, I personally am starting to call the ancient skulls very old because everybody seems to want to have their own ancient skull feeling that an ancient skull has more value or is more powerful than, say, the old or the contemporary or newly done skulls. From my personal experience and in talking with other people, we believe that each crystal skull has its own potential, depends upon who is its caretaker or guardian, depends upon where it's been found. And so, um, and then also we have the situation, which is hard to explain. And I kind of was ridiculed a little bit on this with an interview I did for National Geographic, which was aired in December of last year called The Truth About the Crystal Skulls. But both my partner and I and many people we know who have crystal skulls, we're actually receiving, I would call it um, telepathic communication. Some people actually hear them, a consciousness, living consciousness that's working through the skulls. And so from our personal skulls, we have 16 that we work with and we share in our public presentations. They keep talking with us and saying, you know, why do you care whether one is very old or not, we're all kind of like a, a big family here to assist humanity, and we each have our own role to play and our own service, uh, our own way to help people. So um, anyway, there are definitely crystal skulls that we do find that are very, very old in their manufacture, and they have very powerful energies connected to them. So these are the three types. But there is a fourth type called a ported skull, which I would have to get into uh, another question or explanation how that is different from the three types that I've already shared with you. Sure. And you say we cannot detect tool marks in the old crystal skulls. If that's the case, how do you think they were manufactured? Are we back to the pyramid builders type technology that we can't replicate today? Well, I think that some of these old or very old skulls do may have some tool marks um, and then be classified incorrectly because, you know, there could be a very old skull that, say, a Mayan shaman looked at and didn't like and he had his carver make some alterations and so there are some marks on it. But there are some crystal skulls that uh, don't show any marks. So what's happened is over the years we've heard a lot of different theories and ideas about you know, how some of these very old skulls might have been made. So one possibility is gifts from the gods, which would imply an extraterrestrial connection. Uh, possibly the crystal skulls were created on some other world, in some other dimension, and were brought to the earth as a tool to assist us in our uh, spiritual evolution. Uh, some people have talked about possibly an Atlantis, that they had a technology 
that they were able to change the uh, the bone skull. Like when a, a great person died, they had some technology that could convert the bone skull into a quartz skull. Now, this might be um, supported by a large number of crystal skulls that have been found in Mexico, which are hollow, which means that in the in, inside of it, not the outer part, but on the inside of it, it's completely hollow. And I still have not found anyone, and I've asked um, constantly of other researchers or sensitives or psychics or you know, people who know about the Mayans or these ancient Mesoamerican cultures, and no one has come up with a theory about how the hollow skulls were made. And the reason for this is for a modern carver, they're using diamond tip tools to make the skulls. But when they're cutting into the quartz crystal, if they don't cut properly, they can shatter the whole crystal and they have to start over again. So... Uh, the normal way of making a crystal skull as they're doing it today, I don't see any way how it's possible that they could have fashioned these hollow skulls. So maybe there was some laser, um, maybe, um, you know, they had some superior technology in Atlantis or Lemuria where they could ha uh, visualize in, in their mind an object they wanted to create and it would just kind of manifest, which actually has happened to some degree with spiritual mediums within the last 200 years that have objects which have been imported that have come from nowhere and just appeared. So it's it's kind of a mystery about these more advanced skulls, you know, how they made them. And, and even if we could understand it from our modern perspective, it would require probably a technology either as great as what we have today or, or greater, which the civilizations where the skulls have been found, like in you know Mexico and Central America, were very primitive. So how did they how did they do that? Now the one other possibility that exists as an origin, which would involve an advanced civilization, is the idea that some of the skulls may have come from beings that live on the inner surface of our world, or that's the idea of the hollow earth, which could have been again extraterrestrials who came here long ago. And they live inside the earth where there is a higher vibrational frequency. There are notes sometimes of spacecraft that could possibly come if the earth is hollow from holes at the north or the south pole. They literally fly out from within the world. So the study of the crystal skulls gets one involved in many different areas which are controversial and very difficult to prove. You know, you said something very interesting there, and I wanted to wait until later to discuss it, but let me just tag it now. North and South Pole openings, hollow earth, inner earth. I know you've studied this. What's your take on this? Well, um, I, be I believe in it absolutely, not because I've seen proof of it, but because when I've read about it, I started to cry. Now, I believe that our soul has certain knowledge and information that it knows, which we may ne never have been taught or been consciously um, had contact with. But I know that when I started reading about this, that there was an inner stirring inside of me. And I remember crying because I, I felt like I understood the truth. Then in my early, I call it my hippie days when my hair was much longer than it is now, <laughs> and I was really traveling on faith, I met a very interesting man. His name was Ed Palmer. And Ed Palmer 
uh, was living in, I think he was near Portland, Oregon. I'm, I'm sure he's passed away now. He was probably in the 60s or 70s when I met him. And he told me that he was an exchange baby. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, my parents came from another world and they exchanged me for a uh, Earth family's baby. So I stayed here and that family's baby went to the home planet where I came from. And so as he got older, he started to remember all of this stuff. He even had in his home the uh, diagram of the solar system that he came from. But the reason that I'm bringing him up is because he explained to me how the hollow Earth is possible, not only for our Earth, but every planet in the solar system, including the moon. Mm -hmm. And basically what he told me is he says, when a planet is first being formed, it's in a gaseous state and it's in rotation and the heavier particles eventually form the crust of the planet and the lighter particles form a mini sun that's at the very center of the world. So part of the hollow earth theory is that the aurora borealis, which is known as the northern lights, is the reflection of this inner sun. In other words, the earth is not a molten core at the center, but there's a little mini sun, is the reflection of the lights of that sun when clouds are passing over the opening at the North Pole, because the South Pole, we really don't have people, you know, living there consistently like we do in the Northern Hemisphere. So, um, and then uh, the other proof for me of the existence of the hollow earth is when I was in Alaska, I was in Anchorage, Alaska, a friend of mine, invited me to visit, and I had a chance to do a couple of talks about the crystal skulls. The strange thing that happened to me, because my first spiritual gift is I feel energy. Like when I meet people, I sense, even without speaking any words to them, I kind of know who they are and what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and this is what helps me when I do our private sessions. But when I was in Alaska, Normally, I feel like right now I'm near Seattle, and if I want to connect to the Earth, that connection is directly down into the Earth below me. But when I was in Alaska, the connection that I felt to the Earth was in the sky above me, and purportedly connected to the hollow Earth theory. I don't know. The, the only way I can describe it is if you take metal filings and you put it uh, and you throw it into a magnetic field, there's a pattern that forms. And I believe that the energy that goes through the earth is the same pattern as you see in the magnet, where at the top you kind of have a funnel. Well, I was kind of feeling a connection to the earth in the sky because I think I was close to that, you know, opening at the North Pole. I'm in Alaska, which isn't that far. Mm -hmm. So that's the only time I've been that far north. But I did not feel the connection to the earth in the ground. I felt it in the sky. So that, to me, was kind of like an indication about the hollow earth. Now, the importance of the hollow earth, besides that I believe that there could be crystal skulls that are being held there, is the people that live there are very aware of what's going on on the surface, and this is their world, too, and they're concerned about it. So I believe that if humanity ever comes to the point where we develop a technology or we do something that could destroy this world, this is their home, too they could possibly do something that would prevent that. Isn't it interesting, and I'm, I'm going back to Hollywood for, for a minute, 
Indiana Jones and in the first movies, they involve the Nazis. And we've heard that the Nazis, many of them went to South America and, and eventually supposedly to the South Pole. I have spoken many times with Dr. Brooks Agnew. I, I presume that you know who he is. Mm-hmm. About the the you know the expedition that he has planned for the North Pole is the North Pole the opening? If there's an opening there, the the the, the emission of energy that comes from the planet and then it is funneled through the South Pole. And just like the sun has a heliosphere, heliosphere, we have the same here here on Earth, and it's the North and the South. Yeah, that's that's what I believe. Is I I feel there are these different type of energies in those regions plus. Also on the internet, there have been purportedly photographs of satellites mm-hmm. that have shown the, you know, the northern part of the world, and there's a hole there. There's like clouds covering, but it looks like there's a hole there. What's your take then as to why planes are not allowed to go, you know, around the North Pole? We hardly see any satellite pictures, supposedly because of national security. Uh, it, it's really strange, isn't it? Right, and the planes aren't going there because if they go to the North Pole, gravity will hold them in and they'll go into the inner surface. Mm. And purportedly, this is what happened to Admiral Byrd. Mm-hmm. Because in his report, he said he saw uh, a tropical climate and he was very far up in the North Pole with mastodons running around. And mastodons have been frozen and found in Siberia with fresh food in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So this, to me, again is a possibility that they live on the inner earth in a higher temperature and some got lost and got frozen in the north. Well, there's uh, for anybody who's listening, just go to YouTube and find the footage from some of uh, Admiral Byrd's expedition. And you will find in one area, they're actually filming in Antarctica, an area that's completely tropical. So there's actually footage of that. Uh, you've seen it probably. I don't know if I've seen that that footage, but I've seen the pictures on the internet. And it's just something that I know inside of me that's true. So what I was saying about the Hollywood Indiana Jones, they had the Nazi connection. Then in the last installment, they had the Crystal Skull connection. Is there a, a correlation here between Nazis, Crystal Skulls, and the ancient, and, and, and the occult? Well, I don't have any evidence myself uh, to support uh, some connection between uh, the Nazis and the occult and that they had, you know, UFO technology and they may have had some crystal skulls. I mean, just like anyone else who's out there and talking to a lot of people, you hear rumors, you hear stories. Um, We do know for a fact that um, Hitler was trying to collect power objects And I think maybe the Vatican might have some of these objects that he collected. So it would not be uh, illogical to assume that Hitler may not uh, might have had interest to get a crystal skull hearing these stories that the crystal skulls have a great energy and a great power. My ex-co-author who passed away uh, several years ago, uh, Nick Nasserino, did talk about in our first book, that we published, which is called Mysteries of the Crystal Skulls Revealed. It's basically out of print. We only have a few copies left. Is he, um, I don't know where he got his information, but he talked about that uh, he believed that uh, the Nazis did have a crystal skull. He claims that he saw a crystal skull in France 
which some people were trying to keep hidden from the Nazis. So, I mean, there is a possibility that they could have had an interest in that. Um, so because of this desire to have these par objects, then it would also make sense to, to be involved in the study of the occult and so on. But the studies of the occult is not about having one group of people having power over another. It's about understanding the spiritual principles of the universe and how we've been created, who we really are. You know, many people say we're divine children of God, that we're really souls who are having a human experience, uh, which actually is something that we're pursuing a little bit more in a new book that we hope to offer later this year that deals with the paranormal. So, And I've heard from other researchers who say that crystals, uh, and especially quartz, are the equivalent of uh, modern-day computers with hidden knowledge stored. And if so, have you found a way to extract... I know, for example, the Mitchell Hedges story where he had uh, Carol Davis, the medium. So there's a lot of information that's coming out of it. Do you think that the Crystal Skulls are the equivalent of a modern-day storage or computer storage device? Well, the best way I can compare the Crystal Skulls as a computer is to talk about the DVDs that we have today. If I was to go back 100 years and take this disc and tell people on this disc is movies, moving pictures, photographs, libraries of books, music, they would think I was insane mm -hmm. because they did not have a device that could read that disc. So this is the way I look at the crystal skulls. People like Carol Wilson Davies, who I have met, who are sensitives that go into an altered state around the crystal skulls, this is a way that we can tap into the knowledge and information that's stored in there. But the challenge is, is when you work with different sensitives and mediums, they each tell a different story. In other words, it's very hard to have consistency. So it also makes me think that the energy of the crystal skull is somehow affecting and activating memories and knowledge within the medium themselves, which might be coming out like it's coming from the skull. But Marcel Vogel, who created many crystal type of devices, and he also was involved in, I guess, creating the hard drives that we use today because he worked for IBM. Um, he talked about that um, quartz crystal is able to record the same vibrational frequencies as in the bone and the body. And, so he kind of felt like quartz or crystal skulls, etc., could actually store memories and knowledge and information from individuals that either they had contact with or they were connected to. And, um, and I've always felt, but again, there's no way to prove this because it's more on an energy level, that either this knowledge or information is encoded and telepathically I'm, I'm getting something. Or like I said at the beginning, there are actual living consciousnesses which are using the crystal skull to, to speak to us. And um, we're also getting imparted their wisdom and their knowledge, which some could interpret as this is just coming from the skull, but actually could be coming from a spiritual being. Because quartz crystal for me is like a dimensional door. It allows us to also have contact with other dimensional beings. Um, there was Marion Bradley Zimmer wrote a book called House Between the Worlds, 
And in that book, she talked about that quartz was the only material that when it goes from dimension to dimension, it stays the same shape and size and material. Whereas if I have this pen I'm holding, maybe it becomes a cup in another dimension. So that would also imply the possibility with quartz of being interdimensional. And this is kind of what we experience. There is a local medium that we've been interviewing, and there are spirits that speak through her. It's almost an instantaneous transformation where she leaves and they come in. And one of them did speak about that the crystal skulls were being used as a communication device because when a person looks at a crystal skull, you get a kind of feeling like you're looking at a person. It looks like us. So if you're going to start to receive a communication coming from it, it's kind of like you're talking to a person. Like I'm looking at the two largest crystal skulls that we have right now in our collection, and they're both, you know, kind of, I'm getting a feeling from them. They're very excited and happy we're doing this interview and talking about them and trying to explain to people how powerful the crystal skulls are, especially as a tool to awaken consciousness and help people to open up to their true self. So well, that's, say yeah. hello to the crystal, you call them the crystal kids, right? Crystal kids or crystal children. So right. the two, two I'm talking to right now is Rosalita, which is a human-sized rose quartz skull, two pieces, separate jaw, made by a master carver in China, and Portal de Luz, which is Portal of Light, made by a master carver from Brazil, Leandro da Silva, single-piece smoky quartz. Interesting, interesting. And what safeguards, Joshua, the, what safeguards are there against... Uh, quote-unquote, false information, since, since each medium may, may be getting different information. And how can we be sure the information given can be trusted? Well, this is always the challenge anytime that you're going to, to do research on a world mystery or into the paranormal, is how do you know what to accept and what not to accept? But the bottom line is the following. A lot of these... Uh, mysteries or these objects that are connected to amazing energy or, or there's unbelievable phenomenon around them, the individual has to make their own decision about this. I mean, we're hoping to get more scientists involved to, to try to show the electromagnetic frequency and energy which is around the skulls that's affecting people. So in other words, I could bring to you a hundred people who would tell you, I had this experience with the crystal skull and so on and so forth. But we didn't have a scientific device to measure it. So therefore, people would say, well, how do we know this is true? Maybe you paid these people to say this. So I think where we're coming to right now in this period of time is each individual has to kind of do their own research, has to listen to their own intuition. Or what I always tell people is, I said, look, you can listen to my stories of which we've hardly touched so far in the interview, of things that I've experienced around the crystal skull. And they may sound like science fiction or fantasy, but I am not known as a person to be telling lies just to get attention or you know, to make money from it. My job is to report as accurately as possible and to explain it in a way that other people can understand what's happening around the crystal skulls. So I think the only other way for a person to know is they need to seek out and have a direct contact and experience with the crystal skull and see for themselves what happens. This is also true when I do lectures. It is not my goal that everybody's going to agree 100% with everything I say. I just present the information and I let people decide for themselves. 
But I know that if something is true, there will be other people who will have similar experiences or will see the same things, and then that's the best way to prove it. The paranormal is very difficult. How do we prove something that deals with the contact with conscious beings that do not have form and do not exist in space and time? This is the challenge that we're having with this new book when we're interviewing the mediums and these spirits are speaking through, their experiences of where they exist almost have nothing to do with our experiences here. No, I, I totally understand what you're saying. That's why our motto here in the show is be skeptical, but don't close your mind and, and use discernment. But the, the two skulls you're referring to were manufactured by modern men. Wouldn't they be different than the ones that are 100, 1,000 years older? Yes, they're going to have different frequencies and different energies. Now, I'm going to ask them to answer that question. I'm just going to see what I get. Okay. All right. So this is what they say. They say their older brothers and sisters, which would be the very old or the ancient skulls, were created by superior beings and cultures. It Again, it would be like... Um, dealing with a very advanced race that has an advanced technology. Okay, so those skulls are going to have abilities and energies and knowledge and information that they have recorded over thousands and thousands of years. Now, when a new skull is made, like we'll take the example of Portal de Luz, because I met the carver. He explained to me the process he made them. First, the crystal is saying, okay, I'm ready to come out of the ground and allow a carver to put me into the form. Mm. Then the carver says the crystal is communicating with him to say what form to make it wants to be put into a skull. The next thing that seems to happen is that that crystal skull already knows who his caretaker, guardian, or owner is going to be. So Portadalus is telling me that before he came to me, he already knew that I was going to be his, his guardian. As soon as the guardian meets the crystal skull, there is an activation that happens, and it's like doors open, and then these spirits start coming through. Now, here's something that's very interesting that actually happened that might show that each crystal skull is unique and has its own purpose, and they should not be compared to each other. I had the opportunity, I think it was in 2004, to go to the Museum of Mankind in London, England, where they were housing what is now called the British Museum Crystal Skull, which is on display at the British Museum in London. This other museum I mentioned was like a sister museum. This museum had held the British Museum Crystal Skull from 1898 until that time, although I think occasionally they would bring the British Crystal Skull to the main museum but it wouldn't stay there permanently like it is now because they've closed this other museum. So I was totally surprised that one of the museum guardians, because in general the museum guardians don't give any special significance to this crystal skull. They still don't understand why so many people like it, and they definitely say it's a fake because they found some carver's tool marks upon the skull. But I had an opportunity in 2004 to actually touch that crystal skull. 
And what was inspired for me to do was to have, because it was in a glass case and the custodian opened up the case in the front so I could put my hand into the case and touch the skull. Mm -hmm. What I was inspired to do is my right hand was on the British Museum crystal skull. My left hand was on Portal de Luz. I wasn't there for me to have an experience. I was there to facilitate communication between those two skulls because the British Museum crystal skull up to this point had basically, well, this is, you know, probably a biased opinion, but I would say it was in prison. It wasn't really allowed to come out and have contact with people. And I just felt like they were talking and there was a tremendous amount of energy that went back and forth. Now, what you have to understand is Portal de Luz, prior to that moment, had been in the presence of some of the other older brothers and sisters. Um, for example, uh, he had been in the presence of, um, I don't think we, we had seen the Mitchell Hedges skull yet, but um, Synergy and um, uh, me and, you know, a couple of the other skulls, some of these older ones. And what happens is when a newer skull is in the presence of an older brother and sister, there's a transfer that goes on. There's like gifts that are given. So anyway, the British Museum skull had a tremendous amount of sadness around it. And I think it was sad because it was in prison. And what was interesting is one week later, another person came to see the skull, the British Museum skull, after we had visited and told me that she received a healing. So I believe what happened is Portal de Luz, having been in the presence of several of the older crystal skulls, they had basically helped to activate his crystals so that these other beings and spirits could work through. And Portal de Luz then took the energies that he had received and he was helping his um, brother's sister skull in the museum. So I think the way the crystal skulls work is, and again, this is a picture from Portal de Luz, is once they find their true guardian, now I'm speaking about a modern skull, it becomes activated somehow, especially if that individual is someone who has had past lives where they worked with crystal skulls, and I believe for myself, this is absolutely true several lifetimes because, you know, I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. And it just came up in my life. And it's like when I've been around skulls and people have had some problem dealing with the energy sometimes because they're pretty intense. I just know what to do. So this has to be coming from past life. This question came just came to mind. And please bear with me. Why, sure. why create a skull and not the figure of a man or a woman, since a skull is the equivalent of, of death? Well, I believe that, of course, there are carvers today who are very skilled that if they wanted to, you know, carve in stone or crystal a person, they have the ability to do with that. But I think the reason why they, they created the skull is because my belief is, is that in our physical body, There was a higher spiritual being that designed how the human body looks. That this form, for whatever reason, provides a, a tremendous type of experiences in the physical reality. But if that's true, that also means that these higher spiritual beings also design the shape of our bone skull. What I believe happens with our bone skull is 
is just like a pyramid where you go one third of the way down from the top and it rejuvenates metal and there are special energies there. I think the shape of our bone skull allows us to receive cosmic knowledge and information. And this cosmic knowledge and information comes through different levels of consciousness because remember, you know, the waking consciousness, which you and I are using right now, is not the only aspect of who we are. There's our subconscious, and then some people call it superconscious. And I also sense, too, there's even another level which is related to our soul. So I think the shape of the skull is a receptor that allows humanity to receive this higher wisdom and knowledge, which depending upon how the person has developed themselves from a spiritual perspective, which means taking care of their body, which means being open to uh, other possibilities, not uh, using uh, alcohol and drugs, that you can link into these other levels of consciousness, which the shape of the skull is receiving, and then it comes down into your waking consciousness. So if we have a new skull that's made, it does not necessarily mean because it's in the shape of the skull that all of a sudden you're going to have all these amazing things happening to it. It still has to go through a process of being activated. Example of that would be for the television show that I was on for National Geographic, the same carvers in China who made Rosalita made a similar type of skull for the producer of that show, a human-looking skull two pieces, lower jaw separate, out of clear quartz. So when I went in to have the interview, I was kind of surprised because to make a skull like this by Modern Carver, although now it is possible, it's still not such an easy thing to do. And I really had not seen too many carvers be able to do this. But the uh, point that I'm trying to make is, is that skull virtually had no energy whatsoever. It's because it was just carved and it was sent. And that's it. So the human being has to be involved, especially with these newer skulls, to bring them to life. And it probably has to do to whether a person is um, connected strongly with crystal skulls or not as well. It has an affinity, uh, works with them spiritually, because it has something to do with the, the essence of who they are as well. Or in the case of the indigenous people, um, we've found some skulls that they have. They do ceremonies with them. So again, they're doing something to work with those skulls that helps to activate them and to work with them in a way that will benefit the people of their civilization or tribe. Sure. And I can't help but think of a future in which we can transfer our consciousness or memories into a, say, a silicon chip. What are, what are chips made of? Uh, crystal. Do you think this technology existed in the past and perhaps the crystal skulls were the recipient of someone's consciousness or memories? Yes, most definitely. Um, the skulls keep showing me, and I don't know how true this is, but I can't shake this vision I have that eventually sometime in our future, if we do not already have such a device, because, you know, there's a lot of things they've developed that we don't know about publicly, um, that there will be some kind of a monitor that you'll be able to attach to a crystal skull and there'll be pictures that will come out. And, it, and I keep seeing like a, a man coming out and saying, well, I've been waiting for you to develop the technology so I could talk with you, so I could share with you all this great 
information and knowledge mm -hmm. that has been recorded by past civilizations. So I definitely think there is something to this, but how it will be developed, I haven't a clue. Exactly. And this is the part that I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. Right now, if we have a, a, a hard drive, we have to put information, but it's based on the language that we understand. What kind of language was recorded into some of these crystal skulls, and how is the medium able to, can we use the word translate? Well, to me, it feels like the same answer that I got from the spirits that we talked to through the medium when they when I asked, how do you perceive us as human beings from the level where you are? Well, we see you as light. We, we know who you are based upon the color of the light or the vibration that we sense from you. We don't see the physical form. So this is what I think is how the crystal skulls work, is that everything is based on energy and vibration, that they have some ability. Like Marce Marcel Vogel was saying, Something about that he thought one of the ways that the crystals were able to store information is that in their lattice, crystal, of course, is silicon dioxide. I think that in the lattice, there were different points where oxygen atoms were missing. And in that hole is where he felt that knowledge or information or some kind of energy could be stored and then transferred out. So the crystal skulls don't have a language per se. They're storing things based on energy and vibration. And give you another story that I heard that might help to explain this concept. One of the most powerful um, groups that has done both a paranormal and scientific research on life after death was called the Skoll Experiment Group, not Skull, Skoll, S-C-O-L-E. It's in uh, England. This group existed between 1993 and 1998. And what was happening is they were sitting in circle. Two of their members were acting as medium, where they would go into an altered state of consciousness and then spirit would speak through. And every type of physical manifestation you can imagine was happening in this group. The spirits were physically appearing. They were speaking from the air, objects were being apported in there, Pic uh, pictures were appearing on undeveloped film, everything was done in darkness. But what might help us to understand what I'm talking about, how the skulls record their information, is the spirits that were speaking from the air said what they had to do is they had to create what was called an etheric larynx meaning with the power of their mind and energy that would allow them to impress their thoughts. And who knows, you know, what language are they speaking? Because the spirits could be uh, from, could have lifetimes from every civilization possible. But what this etheric larynx did is it translated the thought into a vibration which was heard in English. And also, when the people were going to ask the spirit questions, they answered it before they they answered those questions before the question could be fully asked because they heard the question as a thought. So it could also be that the knowledge that's being stored in the skulls in the in the quartz crystal is thought, which 
telepathically when the right person who can receive it is there, then the skull starts speaking to that person. Pure my, information. Yeah. But my sensing is, as again, as I look at these two children of ours, you know, they're like living beings, you know. Um, that's how we treat them. We treat them like living beings, and sometimes they get upset with us because we constantly are traveling here and there, and we got to put them in the bag and out of the bag, and, you know, sometimes it's too much to just keep doing that, and you'll hear them complain. Please, we don't <laughs> like to be in the bag. Take us out. Do you, uh, Katrina Head, your partner, do you and her feel the same mood at the same time from, from the skulls? Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, and I watched this when I was with the Mitchell Hedges skull the first time I met it, which was in Dallas, Texas, in the night. I think it was 1986. I was having one experience around it, and another person was having a completely different experience. So, you know, I'll tell her I'm getting this from the skulls, and she says, "No, I don't hear that." So I don't think that they're necessarily communicating the same things to all the people that are around them. It's kind of like they have. Well, this is the image they're giving me. Say you have the skull sitting in front of you and there's like this energy channel that goes into the skull that's connecting you with a person. Then there's another energy channel that's going to the other person in the room that's completely different, that's hitting a different part of the skull. So that's the way they're showing me how to explain them. So, and, it, and I think the reason why they can do this is because these beings that are in the skull they do not exist in time. And this is hard to wrap yourself around because we're used to what was in the past, what's going on now, and what's in the future. Well, where these spirits exist, everything is happening at the same time. And again, going back to the medium we interviewed, they said the best way to explain it is say you're flying above the earth and you can see the entire planet. Well, you're able to look at the Earth and see every single thing that's going on everywhere on the planet at the same time. You're not just focusing on, like, you know, I want to see what's going on with the baseball game in Chicago. You're looking at every single thing that's happening on the Earth at the same time and being able to cognizantly know and understand each of those things. Almost so, like uh, uh, accessing the Akashic Record or, or the Ether? Yeah, I suppose. Um, but it, it, the only way I can compare it is, is I don't know where this ability comes from, but I have the ability where I can be thinking about a few different things at the same time and not lose my, my coherence. So like I could be thinking about, you know, uh, a lecture I'm going to give and the people we're going to meet tonight and what I'm going to say to you. I can do all those at the same time. But after four or five things, then it's too much. Then I, my head starts hurting. So these beings that exist on these levels, or maybe the consciousness that's coming through these skulls, have this ability to not be in time. And, you know, it's like maybe they're talking with me and, and then they're talking with another person and they're able to have consistency in each conversation and it to be different. So I would say, no, we're not getting the same things at the same time. Where were these skulls more prevalent? Uh, when I'm talking about the old ones. Is it Mesoamerica? Well, Mesoamerica is primarily where most of the crystal skulls have been discovered. So this is, you know, Mexico and Central America. But, of course, there are rumors of some in South America. I'm looking for a blue skull in Peru, which I think came from Atlantis. Uh, some of the Mayans uh, have talked about 
when Atlantis sank. Their sacred tools went all over the world. Some came to the Yucatan and, and Mexico and the Americas, and other ones may have gone to Europe and Asia. Um, so, But primarily, most of the ones that have been found so far have been in Mexico and Central America. But I think they were taken all over the world. And I believe that, um, you know, we will find more and more skulls all over the world. Like we've heard about Aborigines, too, that talk about crystal skulls in Australia. So I think it's really, it's a worldwide phenomenon. But once again, and I don't think I'm still clear, why manufacture them in the shape of a skull? What, what is the reason? Um, I think the reason is that they're uh, storage devices for knowledge and information. I think that they also work as dimensional uh, doors that um, give us contact with other intelligent beings. And then these intelligent beings are using the skulls in order to uh, assist humanity subtly by sharing certain frequencies of energy and certain information that people may pick up in a more spiritual way, like intuitively or telepathically. But there is one other thing that people have talked about that maybe the crystal skulls uh, will perform a very special service, and that is when a certain group of them, probably very old ones, come together, that maybe that is the catalytic moment that raises the vibrational frequency of this planet and takes us into the new dawn, into a golden age, into a time of total peace. It's kind of like the hundredth monkey effect that, that Ken Keyes wrote about, where when a certain number of people have the same understanding, like how to create peace, then the entire uh, uh, civilization and all the people on the planet will have that wisdom and that knowledge. If we can find knowledge in, in a small skull the size of a human being, imagine what we could find, and I'm, I presume you have heard of the massive giant crystal caves found in Chihuahua, Mexico. You've heard about this, right? Oh, yes, most definitely. If you could tap into information in that massive cave, what could be? what's your take on that cave, by the way? Well, I really haven't given it much consideration. Um, I don't know if um, this cave is was created naturally or if, you know, there were more advanced civilizations that worked in this cave. Um, I, ju I just know that any type of quartz crystal, regardless of its size, has the ability to record the frequencies of everything that's happened around it. Mm -hmm. And also that um, I think the energy, a lot of people talk about the earth being a living being. So all these stones is a part of the earth. So I think that these kind of massive crystals probably have a lot of energy from the planet itself, um, probably have a, a healing, but... I haven't really thought very much about that cave, like, you know, where it originated or if it's natural or, you know, if it might have been made by some advanced civilization. Again, you know, if we have these civilizations that live in the inside of the earth, anything is possible. What they might have created, you know, cities or gardens or stone gardens. So hard to say. It's just uh, the first time I saw the those images, uh, Joshua, it reminded me of uh, the first uh, movie, Superman, where he actually goes into his crystal cave. It looks just almost exactly like that. Yeah, exactly. The uh, uh, 
his fortress. Exactly, exactly. But we have to take a one and only intermission. But before we go, I want to let the audience know that when we come back, Joshua's going to give us a lot of the information that he has and the insights that he has obtained from uh, his crystal skulls and with Katrina Head as well. You've gotten a lot of information. And uh, tell us how to get in touch with your work, your books, the upcoming events, your website. Um, the best website I would suggest people to visit is crystalskullexplorers.com. And uh, our email address is the same, crystalskullexplorers at gmail.com. So if you go to the website or email us, we can let you know about you know, the free ebook, the newsletter, our own radio show that we're doing, some classes, all this kind of stuff that we're collecting, and of course, the new books that we plan to release this year. Any lectures coming up? Um, that's a good question. Um, we've been um, primarily focusing on the Seattle, Tacoma, Vancouver area. Uh, I think we'll probably have a, a couple of presentations coming up in that area in, in June. So, but mostly we're we're really looking to do these online classes because this way people just go on their computer and they can listen to us and we can show slides and video and everything. So it's almost the same as if we're there. So That's I great. think, yeah. That's great. Well, folks, when we will come back with Joshua Shapiro, we'll talk, as I said, about the insights and information about the skulls, Atlantis. What's coming in the future? This is all information that's stored there, and I'm very fascinated. Don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy.
This is Jay Widener, and you're listening to Veritas.